This is Matt Watson. Uh, joining me is Sean Corp. This is the first episode of the long talked about uh, but but never actually uh, realized Detroit Bad Boys podcast. We hope to do this on a semi-regular basis going forward. And we figure now that we're kind of past all the excitement, the early excitement of uh, July, and we're kind of in the doldrums of uh, NBA free agency, we figured now's a, a good time to kind of talk about, uh, you know, maybe the deals that have already happened and, and maybe the deals that, that look like it might happen, um, starting with the uh, the whole Josh Smith uh, to, to the Kings rumor. Uh, before we do that, uh, how's it going, Sean? It's going pretty well. How's it going with you? Uh, it's going well. Uh, things are going good. All right, let's just dive right in. Josh Smith to the Kings. It, 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 it's the rumor that won't die. It keeps coming up, uh, and then uh, it keeps being refuted. But uh, for whatever reason, it seems like Sacramento has this strange infatuation with uh, with Josh Smith. What do you think of this? I'm not sure if it's the team that is infatuated or just, like, an element within the team. But, I mean, it's there's so much smoke. There's got to be serious interest. So, I mean, I think it's more than just a rumor at this point. I think, I think deals have been talked about on both sides. And for whatever reason, they just haven't pulled the trigger, they being the Pistons. Uh, maybe it's smart, maybe it's incredibly dumb, and I'm horrified to find out what that answer is. It seems certainly among the Detroit Bad Boys uh, commenters, and, and myself included to a large degree, that there's this feeling of just getting rid of him for anything, even if it's a, a collection of smaller bad contracts, is better than just holding on to the one massive bad contract. Well, instinctively, I feel like it is addition by subtraction, because, I mean, he was such a negative presence on the court last year, it, it practically has to be addition if you just take that element out. But what I think is kind of weird is, you know, we feel like we're kind of enlightened fans more than just, you know, the regular drive-by fans that sort of just pay attention. And part of that is always, you know, looking deeper, preaching a little bit of patience, not wanting to make the big, move and this is sort of the opposite i mean i think the whole fan community is just itching to get rid of them for whatever and i want to be smart and say no let's think about this deeper maybe it's not smart to just trade them for garbage but it just makes so much sense to me to just get rid of them here here's the one thing you know just just to play devil's advocate for a little bit um and I can understand where Stan Van Gundy's coming from and not wanting to give away uh, a great big uh, uh, contract, right? You know, don't want to make a, a rash decision as one of his first major decisions of taking over a team. Um, he's such a disciplined coach in terms of having a distinct style and forcing his players to play within that style. I'm really curious to see what Josh Smith can do in a disciplined system in a system where he's not allowed to completely just freelance uh, and to dominate the offense like he did last year. It, it just felt like a very undisciplined offense last year. And every indication that we've we've heard from uh, Van Gundy's press conferences and even just from remembering his style in Orlando, um, he's kind of a no-nonsense, no-BS coach in that certain things like that, they just won't fly, right? So, like, he's you got to figure, he's just not going to be allowed to shoot three-pointers, right? 
Well, I mean, I think there's two parts to that. You're talking about an undisciplined system, and I think we certainly saw that, but I think we also saw a very undisciplined player, and I think that fed into a lot of what created an undisciplined atmosphere. So it seems to me we're going to find out real fast if Josh Smith can coexist on this team as probably, hopefully, God willing, a bench player, and... He's either going to be obviously totally destroy the team or destroy his value further or completely ride the pine, or it's going to be like, oh, yeah, this is what it should have been like all along. It's, this is the Josh Smith that this is the best we're going to get out of him. But, again, yeah. you, don't, you don't know what you're getting until it happens, and if it's you know the first, the first part of that, then you're not even going to probably get what Sacramento's offering now because his value is going to sink even lower. Yeah, that is true. Um, I, th- I think it's definitely going to go, you know, one of two different directions. I don't, I don't think there's probably much middle ground here. I think if, if he opens the year, uh, and let's just assume for a moment that uh, Greg Monroe comes back, um, he's obviously going to be, Josh Smith is obviously going to be the guy who comes off the bench. Um, and I think this is going to go one of two directions, kind of a, uh, uh, similar to, to uh, the whole Allen Iverson situation of, of uh, several years ago, where you're going to have a player who's uh, he's a proud player. He, he's never been a bench player in his entire career, um, and uh, you know he can either embrace that role and just roll with the punches and understand that like he's the odd man out right now, and and just kind of uh, go back to doing what he does best, or he can just be a drag on the team chemistry. Um, and just kind of bring down the locker room. What I what I don't think is going to happen, though, is I don't think he's going to continue playing the way that he did last year, just in fewer minutes. I just I think it's it's either going to be he has to buy in completely uh, to to Van Gundy's system, or he's just not going to see the floor. I don't think it's going to be um, you know basically just the same disaster that we saw last year, but but in 20 minutes a game instead of 35. Um, right. What what kind of terrifies me is this idea that, you know, you're talking about Josh Smith is the highest paid player on the team. He's been a, a quote-unquote all-star, although he never actually <laughs> all-star team. The in borderline life. all-star, yeah. <laughs> Ugh. And uh, so he has that kind of perception, I think, about himself. I, I don't know if you can deny that with the way he plays. And so he's going to be coming off the bench, and I'm terrified he's going to say, okay, well, I'll come off the bench, but obviously I'm the number one option off the bench, and when the bench unit's out there, everyone's going to play around me, right? And I'm going to, you know, create. I'm going to be the offensive focal point, and I'm going to have the ball in my hand so I can have a, you know, high dribble down the lane and accidentally turn it over three times a game. Just just stuff like that. It, because... What was really horrible about last year is that everything ran through him. So, yeah, everything running through him for 25 minutes a game is a lot better than 35 minutes a game, but not running through him at all and treat, treating him as like a third option, that that's sort of the, the best possible scenario, and I just don't know how likely that is. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't think anybody can. I mean, he's he started... Uh I'm looking at the stats right now. He started 730 out of 753 career games, right? 
Um, majority of those coming off the bench were his rookie year um, when he was a teenager. So yeah, it'll be whatever happens. It'll be the first time you know if, if he's still here. It'll be uh, kind of embracing a new role. But I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm maybe I'm just trying to uh, you know I, I think as fans it's really easy to you know project a lot of motivations uh, onto the players just based on the way that they play. Um, and so, like, he, he tends to play a little bit selfishly at times. Like, I, 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 I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he can just kind of look at the situation and say, like, you know what, like, this is better for me to play well coming off the bench because that will facilitate me uh, going to a different position, right? If they right. make the commitment to, to Monroe uh, and they're obviously committed to Drummond, uh, then he's going to realize that he literally is the odd man out. And the, and the better he plays and the better he embraces that role, the faster he'll be able to go to a situation where he can, uh, hopefully for his benefit, start again. Um, you know, may, whether that's Sacramento, if they're still desperate for uh, an, another power forward or, you know, an, someone else who, who emerges. But, um, yeah, th- I mean, that's, that'll obviously be one of the, the storylines that um, dominates all of training camp. Uh you know, because that's, that's the other thing too. Like with all of this going on, um, he's a very private person. He's not in. He's not uh, making waves, uh, making public comments. Uh, we, we have no idea how he's. You know, maybe this has been a very humbling summer for him to uh, to, to experience. You know, all the backlash and to 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 realize just exactly what the the fans think of him, and and to a degree what the how much the team values him. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll just have to wait and see how that turns out. But I don't think the storyline is going away anytime soon. Yeah, I, I agree, and I I'm hesitant to call him selfish. Or I mean, he he plays selfishly. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think that's sort of like an innate trait in his persona. And I know people throw around low basketball IQ and things like that with him. And it, I don't know. Sometimes he makes really smart plays, but he's just very reckless. He's, right. He just doesn't – it kind of reminds me of the worst of Rashid when he was here where he's got this sort of ingrained talent, so he doesn't always work the hardest to give him the, self, the best opportunity because he's got this talent with a irrational confidence that has been proven to be. <laughs> uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't look at the stats. Let's put it that way. Right. Or he's not looking at the right stats. Right. Yeah, jeez. Uh, but one thing you got to say is Stan Van Gundy would be the best coach that has ever worked with Josh Smith. So I'm kind of curious what you think. I mean, if it, kind of the off-season rose-colored glasses optimism, what what's the best-case scenario for how he's actually used in a Stan Van Gundy system, do you think? Well, you know, not only I, I agree with you. Uh, not only is Stan Van Gundy the best coach, but he's certainly the most powerful uh, that he's ever had. Right? Like, there's no just just given the nature of Van Gundy's dual roles uh, in the front office and the coaching staff, it, no player is going to be able to go over his head. I mean, that just goes without saying. There's there's no point in, in pouting or um, uh, or anything like that. So, so I think that'll definitely be an influence, just in terms of forcing him to buy into whatever decisions Van Gundy makes. Um, and in terms of how he's used, I think ideally, um, uh, you know, the the first big on the bench. I still think that you can uh, 
basically go through an entire game and have, you know, if you do it right, two of those top three big men on the court at all times. Uh, I think you should be able to swing that. And and I'm it, if if the if the rest of the personnel matches up where there's the guy spacing the floor. Um, and all of those three big men come back, I'm actually pretty confident with any combination of those two. So I don't know. I, I, I think it'll be uh, – I, I think they've improved enough uh, and they've, they've gathered enough uh, shooters to be like basically like your designated scorers that, that even when he's in the game, the offense is, isn't going to flow through him. Um, so, you know, as far as – as hard as it is to, to believe that he could just be that third option, I, you know, ideally – uh, I think that's how Van Gundy sees him. Um, so, you know, I imagine that's, that, that's probably what it's going to be. What about you? I, I do think that Van Gundy has sort of a confidence in his passing ability that I do not really share. I think he's just too sloppy with the ball in his hands. And so I think at least initially they're going to look to create some offense around Smith with shooters on the floor, kind of – almost like what they would do with Monroe probably in an optimal situation where he's at the top of the key and sort of looking to drive or pass. Uh, hopefully hopefully that works out, but uh, we'll see. I, I do definitely think that sort of uh, a Van Gundy system would put him on the floor with three really good three-point shooters because kind of what I, what I was getting at with uh, – not really thinking he has a low basketball IQ, but kind of goes for the lazy decision, maybe, is I think if Josh Smith has the ball in his hands and he's surrounded by three really good three-point shooters, he's like, oh, I should pass to those really good three-point shooters because they make three-pointers. I think last year he was putting so much you know, of the offensive load on himself because he had really bad teammates. I mean, he obviously yeah. still should have passed because his results were way worse than his teammates' results. But uh, So what gives me a little bit of confidence is the idea that if you surround him with shooters, he's going to think that he should work out of the post as opposed to think that he should work out of the perimeter. Because I, th- I don't think it had anything to do with small forwards or power forward as far as that was concerned. I think it was we didn't have any three-point shooters on the team, so he thought he should shoot three-point shots. Right. And we'll find out, like, whether or not... Because I think, like, Rashid was another example of a player who just really enjoyed fancying himself as a three-pointer, even though he wasn't as good as he thought he was, albeit he he was much better uh, as Smith than Smith. Hard to be worse. Um, yeah. Statistically, no one, you know, very few people have been uh, with that with that <laughs> volume. Claim to fame. Um, but uh, but no, it'll be interesting. I mean, like his his three pointers have crept up, you know, the last few years. One point seven per game in eleven uh, twelve uh, to two point six his last year in Atlanta, and then three point four uh, his first year in Detroit. So I mean, he he's certainly increasingly thinking of himself as a perimeter player, and I'm just not sure if that's because he really authentically believes he has that ability, or if it's just been, you know, well heck, someone has to do this. Um, yeah, so we'll see. But in any yeah, case, I I do think that the the idea that two out of the three can be effective. I I mean I think even in sort of the horror show that was the Maurice Cheeks 
John Lawyer offense when the team was bad and unskilled and had no three-point shooting. It proved itself to be, you know, maybe not great, but decent. It was a decent result because when, you know, all three of those guys were on the floor, they played a little over 1,300 minutes together, and they were outscored collectively by 185 points, which is... Which is horrific. And that's why, I mean, the writing was on the wall so early, and they just never went away from playing the three of them together. It was obviously depressing. But when you took any one of those guys away, you got much better results. So, like, uh, it was 1360 for the three of them, but if you just had two of them on the floor, if you add it all together, they played a little over 1,500 minutes, and they actually outscored their opponents last year. And the Pistons were a bad team. So the fact that they played 1,500 minutes with that group of players, with that level of deficiency sort of all over the floor, right? talking about Brandon Jennings, lack of shooting in general, lack of free throw shooting completely, they were actually like a 500 club. So, I mean, if you add better shooting into the mix and Stan Van Gundy as opposed to... Uh, Mo Cheeks. <laughs> I don't want to get too confident in the three of those guys on the same team again, but I mean, it's a at least it won't be depressing. I I can see some semblance of a good plus five hundred team out of this group they have right now. Right. Yeah. No. I I hope you're right. Um, and if it comes to uh, to all three of those guys still being on the roster in training camp, I imagine that's what what Van Gundy's thinking too. You know, let's get these guys in the uh, let's let's put these guys in, in actual appropriate roles. Uh, let's play it out uh, for the first few months of the season, and and then see where we are at the trading deadline. Um, I mean, that, that's it's the fans are, are eager for they're always eager, myself included. Uh, for that big home run that, that Van Gundy said he's not going to try and make. Uh, he's not going to swing for the fences this summer. But we're really eager for that big overhaul, like, you know, let's turn over the roster right now. Um, but, no, if you, if you, if you take a, a step back and kind of have that dispassionate view and you're just like, here are my assets. It's a really devalued asset. I think I can, you know, make it worth something. It's, it's you know, it's probably the probably the smartest choice, even if it's the, the least... Uh, immediately satisfying as a fan. So do you think there's any chance, you're talking about Van Gundy having a no BS kind of approach. Let's say Josh Smith is playing off the bench. He's giving it his best shot, but he's kind of like a marginal player like he was in Atlanta. Do you think that Van Gundy would have the guts to give Smith's minutes increasingly to a player like Drebko or let's say another player kind of steps up into the reserve power forward role? Or do you think it's Smith or pretty much nothing? I think as long as Smith is authentically giving it his best and and trying to play within the system, I think that he's going to uh, – his spot in the rotation and his spot at the top of the rotation is, is pretty secure. Um I, obviously, Jarebko is a little bit different type of player, uh, especially when you when you factor in his shooting. Um, so, and once you go past Jarebko, it gets a little thin in terms of who else could step into that, you know, backup power for a backup big man role. Um, 
I'm getting a little worried uh, that the the promise that we all saw in, in Tony Mitchell uh, might have been a little bit overstated. Um, I don't want to write him off based on, on just a couple of summer leagues, but uh, he doesn't seem to have at least the confidence of the, the organization. They're not talking about him quite as much as, as it seemed like maybe they were uh, last year. Um, and then, you know, for a guy like uh, uh, Aaron Gray, I think he's basically just, uh, you know, strictly, you know, strictly just a, the, a very limited big man that you need to have because you can never have enough big men at the end of the bench, right? Yeah, let's um, hope he plays as little as Harrelson did last year. Right. Although Harrison played well, you know, it was just the, the injury. Yeah, I mean, he should have played more if he was healthy, but he yeah. wasn't healthy. I mean, he played like 300 minutes, so yeah. if Aaron Gray plays 300 minutes, I'll live with it, even though I think Harrelson was obviously the better player. Right. Yeah, I think I think the I think we all agree. I think the Pistons agree that too, and and he's certainly a better fit for Van Gundy's traditional system of shooters, right? I think there was obviously something going on with him where he wasn't able to play summer league. You know, his season ended early last year, so you know, hopefully he's able to bounce back uh, uh, somewhere. But right, I'm um, kind of curious what Van Gundy thinks about Detomi, assuming he actually learns how to make an NBA three pointer. Uh, I wonder if he thinks of him as a small forward like the team did last year. Or if he wanted wants to play it into a little smaller, small ball like he's done in the past, and kind of use him as a power forward. If you know Smith uh, doesn't perform and Jarepko doesn't repeat his shooting performance from last year, which he had never done previous in his career from three point line. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm really curious about Tatome. Um, I, I thought that he was going to. I don't know if there's a disconnect between uh, what, what Dumar saw in him and, and what Cheeks and Lawyer did, uh, but I was really shocked that he played as, as little as he did last year, um, just based off of reading all the scouting reports and you know obviously seeing the, the edited mixtapes uh, that make everybody <laughs> look like a superstar. But, but, you know, I mean, shooting is the one skill that should translate, right? Like maybe not being able to get your shot off doesn't translate, but strictly shooting, um, you know, he was golden from uh, free throw line uh, in Europe. Um, he could still end up, you know, who knows? Maybe he could still end up still being that that complete X factor. Right. I mean, there's been some anecdotal evidence I've seen in in comments on DBB and other places where there's this premise that European players kind of struggle right away from the three point line because it's all muscle memory and they just adjust to the distance. And uh, people point to Calderon who uh, was horrible from the three-point line his first year or two and adjusted. So, you know, fingers crossed he figures it out, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I, I basically look at him as just pure bonus. Um, yeah, he's yeah, so we'll cheap. See. It was one less guy that Van Gundy could inexplicably sign on the first day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Although... You know, in, in, and I don't want to get too far off topic, uh, but I will say, like, the more the more I've kind of thought about all the guys that we've signed, um, I'm actually fine with it. I got into a big uh, Twitter spat the other day with with a random guy uh, trying to tell me that uh, Jose Jose that Jody Meek's contract was as bad as uh, John Conkac from the Hawks back in the day, who, who made more money than Bird and, and MJ. And we yeah. and it was this ongoing Twitter argument that lasted about 20 minutes until I finally realized 
that this guy actually thought that uh, Jody Meeks's contract, that the, the 18 or 19 million was all for one year. <laughs> well, then he has a point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> I'm going to go on record and say I don't want to pay Jody Meeks $19 million. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, a, that was a waste of 20 minutes. But that's <laughs> what you get for, for just uh, uh, poking around Twitter late at night. Um, all right, well, anyways, let's, uh, okay, we had, we had talked briefly um, b- before the show. We also wanted to touch, uh, touch real, real briefly on the other big news uh, in the Central Division. Turns out that Jody Meeks is not the, the biggest arrival. He's uh, now to the, the second biggest arrival in the Central. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, LeBron James going back to the Cavs, I think, uh, I think everyone might be um, already sick of the, the whole storyline, the whole... Um, you know, what does this say about LeBron, all that. So I don't really want to get into that too much, but I'm just curious, like, what are your thoughts just in general about the, the central division, right? Like, if anything, uh, I was really disappointed uh, when it happened just because it made the Cavs another surefire contender, um, and, it, and it just made that the path to respectability uh, that much more difficult for the Pistons, right? Because the, the Pacers didn't get substantially worse. Uh, the Bulls are still going to be there. Um, it, it, it's still a, a tough-as-hell uh, division and all of a sudden Cleveland, who was kind of, you know, they're a, a little bit of uh, better than the Pistons, but just just by a shade last year, um, and they just skyrocketed right past us. So, yeah, I'm just curious, like, like, what are your thoughts? Like, how, how do you how do you see the Central kind of shaking out a little bit? And you know, what are your thoughts in general about that? Well, I think Cleveland is not nearly the team people just automatically assume. I think. There's sort of this transference that in people's heads, like, oh, Miami was great. Miami had LeBron. Cleveland has LeBron. Cleveland must be great. And I don't think that's true. I, I think this year's Cleveland team, barring a Kevin Love trade, is pretty significantly less talented than last year's Heat team. But what you got to consider also is that the Heat got worse, and the Pacers got worse because they lost Stevenson. Right. And who the hell knows what's going on with Chicago? I mean, they were dra- dragged into the playoffs by sheer force of coaching will, and then they totally crapped the bed because they literally couldn't score. So, I mean, I think they're obviously a really good team. They're a top three seed in the East. They're probably maybe the best team in the Central, but, I mean, that's kind of a dogfight between the Cavs, the Pacers, and the Bulls at this point, although I'm always kind of higher on the Bulls than maybe I should be, but I think they're all pretty equal as far as talent goes going forward. See, I think, I remember the the year that uh, Ray Allen and, and Garnett, that they all went to Boston, and Boston's coming off just an absolute miserable year. Not worse, certainly worse than the Cavs were last year. Uh, miserable year. And I remember when all these guys came together, and the thought was, oh, you know, first the immediate thought is, oh, are they a playoff team? And everyone kind of admits, yeah, they're a playoff team. But then uh, the thought is like, oh, you know, can they go deep in the playoffs? And it's like, oh, it turns out they were the best team in the entire East, you know, by a wide margin. Um, so I'm not going to say that LeBron going back to the Cavs is quite the same as that, but I think that there's this. I I, I think it's the the kind of what you were saying about how you know they're not really that good of a team. I think LeBron completely changes the dynamic of the entire team. 
I think you can add probably 20 wins uh, on top of it, of, of what they were last year, and that alone gets them over 50 wins. Um, if they're able to kind of, you know, whether it's a smart move or not, uh, it'll certainly pay off more so in the immediate future if they're able to uh, to get Kevin Love. Um, you know, then I think that even puts the, puts them over the top even more. So as of right now, I I think I consider them the team to beat in the Central. I think they're probably the, the best team in the Central. Um, I think the Pacers took a little bit of a step back and don't really quite know what the hell happened to the Pacers last year. They, they went from being a really dominant team to a team that just barely was scraping by in the playoffs. Um, so if they get, you know, I hate talking too much about chemistry or, or, or whatever it is, but it was pretty evident that something was going on with that team. Uh, so we don't know how that's going to shake out still. Um, you know, and, and then and I, I guess the X factor right now, and, and it's probably a little silly uh, trying to look too far ahead in the future until the Kevin Love situation is, is resolved. But, you know, if Love ends up going to Chicago, then maybe it's, you know, and, and Derrick Rose is the Derrick Rose that we all like to remember instead of the one that we, you know, immediately sure. saw. Um, you know, then maybe I'll change my mind and, and Chicago's that team. But as of right now, taking Love out of the out of the equation, I still think, I still think that Cleveland's Cleveland's the top team. Well, here here's my thing on Cleveland, though. I mean, who plays defense on that team other than LeBron James and a quickly broken down Verajao? They've got. When I look at it, I see you know LeBron's obviously going to totally redefine that offense in significant ways, but you have a new coach who's never coached in the NBA before, and True. you you still have you know. Kyrie Irving, who, he's a really talented player, but I think the jury's slightly still out on, you know, what he ultimately ends up being. He's not a great defender. He struggles to stay healthy, so you never know. And right now their backup point guard is, you know, Matthew Dellavedova. You've still got Deion Waiters, who hasn't figured out what shots to take and what not to take. I think he is greatly helped by, you know, James showing up. But he's not a great defender, as far as I'm aware. And then you got Thompson and Rajau down on the blocks. It's just for that team to be as suffocating on defense as you probably need to be to be a real contender, you know, or at least you know the way Boston instantly became a contender. I, I don't think they're there. And the offense is to me a little spotty right now, just off the bat. So. It basically becomes, if you shut down LeBron, you know, what shutdown means, which is make him work for his 26, 28 points. But if you kind of solve that riddle, then they don't really have enough weapons to to look elsewhere. Not like the Heat did, anyway. No, I, th- that, those are all completely valid uh, points. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. I, you are right, though, that, that Boston's... Part of the trick to their renaissance was their absolutely dominating defense, you know, for much of the year. And so the, certainly Cleveland doesn't have that. I, I think, you know, maybe a better analogy would be, uh, especially when you bring up the fact that they have uh, David Blatt, a rookie NBA coach, um, you know, maybe this is more of a situation that's similar to, to when everyone came together in, in Miami. And it, it basically took them a good half season to figure it out um, before they started uh, uh, really getting in gear. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. 
Um, what do you think of the uh, the Wiggins factor? I mean, people, I think, assume he's going to be able to contribute right away. I'm a little skeptical on his overall skill level, but, as, I mean, if he can at least become an NBA-quality defender on the perimeter from day one, or at least somewhat close, I th- think that goes a long way into solving sort of the issues that the Cavs are going to need to solve. But, I mean, I just don't know. That's a lot of faith to put in a number one overall pick, even when as hyped as Wiggins is, especially after, you know, a year where you saw (laughs) the biggest struggle out of a number one overall pick in a Cleveland uniform just last year. Yeah. Well, you know, the... He's coming into one of the most comfortable situations of any number one pick in recent history where you have, I mean, assuming he's still on the team and not traded for love, I mean, you have, like, the the clear-cut LeBron James, number one. You have uh, Irving. You know, so so certainly offensively he's not going to be counted on for, you know, nearly as much as most number one picks. Um, And to be perfectly honest, uh, I, I I didn't see him... In college, as much you know, certainly not not a lot in the regular season. Uh, I've only seen a handful of games, you know, from beginning to end with him. So uh, defensively, I guess it's kind of I'm a little nervous to to make any definitive calls uh, either way. Um, but everything that I've read and everything that I've uh, people whose opinions I respect, they they suggest that he's not you know maybe not quite as far as a lot of people think he is. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. But. Uh, so let's say hypothetically the Cavs struggle a little bit. I think it's zero possibility that any of the blame goes to James. I mean, he's just proven he's the best player on the planet, pretty much. So who do you think feels the heat in Cleveland if they don't become that dominating force? Um, I think it, you might be... I don't know if I agree with you that LeBron will be immune from criticism. I think that that will be... Uh, I think certainly the Cavs and the Heat will be compared all season long, and and I mean this this current iteration of the Heat without James. Um, but I mean obviously I I don't think any intelligent fan can hold him too accountable. I you know if they struggle too much, I think you know maybe David Blatt. I think people will chalk it up to that. You know just is he making the right coaching decisions? Is you know, does all of this international success translate to the NBA? Do, you know, does he need time to adapt? Um, and then another thing too, like with with Kyrie, like he's kind of been built up and put on this pedestal, uh, but he's really got to step up. Like I, he's he's certainly not all hype. Uh, he produces a lot, but you know he has to stay on the court for an entire season, and and he has to really elevate his game to the next level now that he's not. You know, solely responsible for carrying the entire team. I think he should have a little bit of freedom to uh, uh, to kind of grow into everyone's expectations. Um, but but yeah, we'll see. I I I don't think that they'll come raring out of the gate. I think there will be a little bit of uh, time needed for everyone to gel before they before they hit their groove. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see you know who actually does feel the heat in that regard. So now that we kind of talked about LeBron, probably way more than people <laughs> wished we had talked about LeBron. <laughs> people probably thought they were escaping from that talk. Uh, what do you think of the Stevenson factor sort of in Indy? It's, I mean, you mentioned sort of the inexplicable struggles last year. I think there's a lot of people that want to kind of pin that on right. Stevenson's bizarre personality. I think people kind of 
like to scapegoat weird personalities more than they probably should in this sense. Right. But, I mean, it was a significant slide for a very good team, and you've removed it from the equation. So you removed maybe a, a bad locker room presence, but you also removed a super, super talented offensive and defensive player. So wh- what do you think of the Pacers, you know, the Rodney Stuckey Pacers going into <laughs> uh, this season? Well, the one thing uh, I, th- I think it's a little interesting that, okay, if we're going to scapegoat uh, Lance Stevenson and we're going to pin all of their chemistry problems on him uh, and, and, you know, let's call it a, a leadership vacuum uh, of sorts, um, it's interesting to bring in a guy like Stucky and think that he might be able to replace him when he's certainly gone through his fair share of controversy, um, you know, squabbling with coaches. Um, you know, there haven't been too many reports of him not getting along with teammates, but um, he's kind of developed a, a reputation of, of being, de- you know, kind of determined to do things his way. I, I, you know, to his credit, he, he certainly embraced the six-man role, um, but you can also look at that on the other side of the coin and say, you know, he just wanted his share of minutes where, where he could be the guy. Um but so I don't know. I, I it'll be interesting. Uh, obviously, the Pacers. You know, it's not like they mortgage their future on Stucky. The the poor guy got a, a one year uh, veteran minimum deal. Um, it, it's basically a make good contract for him. That if if he's able to, you know, really embrace that role, then he has a chance to make a whole lot of money. So I, I, I imagine that he'll be on his best behavior. I just find it a little bit ironic that he was. Uh, he's the guy that that's filling that void. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. We, last year, um, you know, the Pacers, in addition to uh, in addition to Stevenson, they also had a couple of other, you know, uh, weird uh, guys with reputations of, of being a little weird with in the locker room, such as uh, Evan Turner. He, he's had his fair share of problems. Um, and even Andrew Bynum, to a degree, you know, certainly didn't play enough to, uh, uh, to really impact it. But you just got to wonder, like, to what degree – you know, he just kind of disrupted it. I think, like, once you kind of bring all of these, you know, wild card situations in together, maybe it's not any one person's fault uh, for when the whole thing goes south. Maybe it's just like a, a whole general malaise just kind of falls over the uh, the, the locker room. Um, but, you know, I, I'm nervous to kind of, uh, you know, attribute any kind of blame or anything like that. Just, be, you know, I don't want to get too hot takey here and, and, and try to <laughs> act like I know what happened from the outside looking in. But, um they're certainly when they played well last year, they played extremely well, and when they played bad last year, they played comically bad. Like I don't think any of us expected Roy Hibbert to have those, you know, zero zero games that he did in the playoffs, uh, and he put up a number of those. Um, so you know, over the course of eighty two games, I think they'll probably bounce back. But you know, they're they're a complete wild card. Yeah, I think if uh, this they struggle and Stevenson's out of the picture. I think Roy Hibbert is going to take a lot of heat from, you know, the fans, the public, the, you know, intelligentsia within the NBA. And he doesn't strike me as a player that handles that kind of scrutiny very well. And I think Stevenson kind of deflected that a lot last year, even though he did get a a lot of the criticism. So, uh, I mean, maybe taking Stevenson out of the equation kind of helps – put him in the right frame of mind, the right sort of position to succeed on the court again. But if they don't come out of the gate like the team they were last year, 
I think a lot of people are going to be pointing the finger at Hibbert, and I I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the team looks a lot different, I guess, at the trading deadline because I don't think they have the hugest con- window of contention, and I think they probably don't want to fetter it away with being afraid to make moves. So, I mean, the Pacers seem like a very interesting place to watch what happens this year. Is is Paul George uh, is Paul George a cornerstone franchise guy that you can build a, a contender around? I don't think he's the superstar. He looked like the first month and a half or whatever it was last season. But I mean, I think he's a great defender and a he's a championship level number two option. I'm not quite sure he's a number one option. I mean, he is a number one option on a lot of teams, and that right. makes a lot of sense. But we're talking about sort of to be a champion in the NBA. Yeah, you have to have a very specific set of skills and players. I mean, th- people don't really luck into championships in the NBA, so sort of you're always looking at who's ready to be pushed over the top. And right, I, I think the Pacers are almost there. I don't know if they're quite there. I I, re- I really feel bad for Hibbert uh, in a lot of respects, just because I think because of his size, I think people expect a lot more out of him than he's ever really shown. Um, he's certainly a terrific. Uh, rim protector and alters a lot of shots that he doesn't even touch uh, just by his mere presence. But uh, if you just take a look at his uh, take a look at his career numbers, um, he's he's plateaued. He's regressed uh, in terms of certainly in terms of scoring, uh, in terms of uh, field goal percentage. Um, he's not nearly as dominant as a big guy. Um, uh, Obviously, offensively, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's never averaged 13 points a game, right? Like he averaged not even 11 points a game last year. Like it, it's, I feel bad that he's the guy that everyone's going to point their finger to and say, you know, this is the reason you're not taking the next step. Where it's like, he's never really done that, you know? Right. Like he's never been a franchise guy. Like he's yeah, never, and, like he's never at his, uh, at his pay level. I mean, he's such a good defender in paint that I, I think it's hard to argue that he's significantly overpaid just because he literally can anchor your defense completely. He he defines your defense basically in the paint and allows you to be aggressive on the perimeter and do different things, you know, as far as matchups. And that has a lot of value, but you just have to build a team where you're not asking him to score a lot. Right. And so that's why I think they look like champions when Paul George looked like he was, you know, that dominant scorer because it took so much pressure off other guys. They just had to be, you know, third options or whatever. So if, you know, they just need that steady flow of offense coming from George or someone else, I I don't think it's going to be Stucky. I, I think probably best-case scenario, they kept Stevenson and his game kept growing. But we'll see. I mean, I they took a step back, but they're still so talented on defense. I, I think they'll be near where they were last year and they're liable to make a change that, you know, pushes them a little farther. Yeah, I think as long as you're as long as you're basically maintained some of that, you know, somewhere close to where they were last year and and then you just you get to the trade deadline and you just see what happens, right? Like it seems like a lot of the contenders who who are able to finally get over the hump, it, you know, uh certainly with the Pistons with their championships, whether it's been, you know, Mark Aguirre or Rashid Wallace or you know, it, it's like you, you get those moves and you just make that last move to just kind of, like, push you over the edge. So, um, yeah, it, it's probably a little premature to, to see how the 
see how exactly how that shakes out. But so, in, in, okay, so you have the we've dissected the uh, uh, the central division. Um, what do you think about just real quick in terms of the entire east? Um, how do you think that uh, the the moves that we've seen happen in the central? How do you think that'll affect uh, the eastern conference as a whole? Well, I mean, I think the east has positioned itself pretty nicely to be a you know a emerging dominant conference in the east. I Obviously, you still have the Heat, who, with Bosch and Wade, you know, whatever you can get from Wade, that defines how good that team probably is. Uh, but they're obviously still in that, you know, upper... I would put them in the upper tier of the East initially right. until Wade proves that he's really just broken down and significantly regressing. But... uh Kind of the Hawks are, I think, a, a year away. They're waiting for that moment where they can spend a lot of money on a really good player. But I don't think they've done enough to not be in playoff contention. I mean, I think they got, they're got they a good emerging team that got a little better, and Horford's going to be healthy to start the season. Uh, I'm really scared about what the Hornets turn into now that they have Stevenson. They have Jefferson. They have a super excellent defense, and they're going to have it in year two of a really good coach. So I think... I think basically they're the best case scenario of what the Pistons want to become. Sort of the Pistons want to be that sneaky seventh, eighth seed that kind of puts all that chaos behind them, has a good coach, install a good system, and maximize the talent. And then they can, you know, spend that money and take the next step and still be poised to spend more money kind of going forward. But so I think the Bob, oh boy, the Hornets, did I say Bobcats? Uh, I I continuously struggle on that. It it is still ingrained in my head. The Charlotte Hornets are a very dangerous team that everyone should pay attention to, and they should be called the Charlotte Hornets all the time. (laughs) And then, uh, geez, who else? I I mean, we didn't really talk about the Bulls too much, but it's all sort of Derrick Rose dependent, barring Kevin Love trade. Right. I mean, Noah's great. Gibson's great. Thibodeau's great they still don't really have a source of offense. So they really, really need that offense to come from Derrick Rose and make it easy for Doug McDermott to have sort of an impactful rookie season just by shooting the ball. Because if they have that sort of offense they had last year where everybody has to kind of put it on their own shoulders and create, yeah, that's not kind of, that's not where I see McDermott being successful out of the gate for sure. You know, there are, uh, it seems like, Every now, one guy that you didn't mention, uh, someone that I'm kind of excited to see if, if he's going to continue to to grow and take the next step is Jimmy Butler. There are times where he actually looks like a, a big star in the making, uh, and then there are other times when he's kind of like you know he's just one of the guys. Um, but yeah, I'm really curious to see what what he's able to do too. And another team that you didn't mention um, that was a whole lot of fun to watch in the playoffs. A lot of um, I was actually really surprised at how much fun they were to watch. Where was the the Wizards? Um, they certainly have an extremely exciting backcourt, um, and uh, they, they kind of did their best to uh, keep some of the guys that were working for them last year in terms of Marcin Gortat. Uh, they certainly lost Ariza, but they wasted no time to, to, to sign Paul Pierce. And signing a guy like Pierce, to me, is a signal that they think they can win now, and they think that they can actually do something. Because you don't sign a guy like Pierce thinking you're going to get something in a year or two. Um, right. You sign a guy like Pierce, thinking we have a a, a, a hole to plug, and we think that this uh, you know this veteran might be able to put us over the top. Um, 
I don't know. I, th- I think I think it'll be interesting. I think that's a really fun team. They, yeah. they certainly put a. Uh, they certainly had a lot of uh, in the playoffs. They they certainly, I think, were far more impressive than anyone was anyone was expecting. It's hard to put that much faith in sort of a Randy Whitman team. He's not the most <laughs> impressive coach on the block, but they. I mean, they have tons of talent. I think Pierce is a step up from Ariza, even though you got you know contract year Ariza last year shooting the lights out. Pierce had a super good year in Brooklyn, sort of playing within his own limits and still kind of shouldering a significant portion of the load. He kind of hit a sweet spot there, and I think that's exactly what they want to replicate in Washington. I'm mm-hmm. I'm curious what Toronto is capable of. I think I might look stupid down the line, but they just surprised me last year, and I'm not sure that performance is repeatable. I mean, you got so many great performances from so many players that didn't really show they were capable of it before last year. I mean, I'm, I've always been a fan of Lowry, but he took a significant step forward with sort of a solidified spot, and they can't afford for him to regress. Uh, DeRozan took a huge step forward, and he was kind of this inefficient offensive focal point before last year. So if he, you know, shoots with the same volume but doesn't connect as well, personally I think they're primed for a step back, but maybe I'm nuts. No, I I think you're right. Um, They certainly can't uh, afford to have either of those two guys uh, regress too much. Uh, But I do think that they still have a lot of uh, I'm gonna absolutely murder his name. Uh, uh, yeah, there you go. I'm not even gonna try. You said it. Uh, I think I think he still has a lot of unrealized potential. Uh, he's one guy that, um, you know, I wasn't in Vegas for summer league last year, but I remember watching him uh, two years ago. I wasn't in Vegas this year, but I, wa- I remember watching him uh, two summers ago, and, and he just absolutely destroyed the competition. He was a, a joy to watch, um, and he had uh, a pretty productive year last year. Uh, basically, you know, 11 and nine. Um, and I think that uh, he's just going to continue, and you know, once he becomes that that 35, 36 minute a night player, um, you know, he, he's going to add a little bit more, uh, a little bit more to that team. But, but no, you're right. Um, I think I think DeRozan really took a huge step, and it's just a matter of you know, we'll have to wait and see. You know, was that just uh, uh, his natural development, or is that just a really good year and he's going to fall back? Um, you know, is Lowry was that a, a contract year situation, or is that a hey, someone finally let me play um, and, and and put me in the the driver's seat for an entire season, and this is what I do. So we'll see. So so in the end, after going through all the sort of East kind of mentally, do you think that the Pistons could be real contenders, assuming Monroe comes back? Are they sort of an eighth seed? I think it's possible. Um, I think it's possible. If we're going to look best-case scenario, um, and I'm not going to presume any kind of crazy trades, and I'm going to assume Monroe comes back, uh, Smith is there. Um, like you pointed out uh, at the very beginning of the podcast, any combination of, of two of Detroit's big men, they, they played well last year uh, when it was just two of them on the court. Uh, if, if Van Gundy can... Uh, Get those guys playing disciplined basketball, uh, and just—it it sounds like such a, a, a simple thing, but like even just like the right player combinations, which was something that the, the Pistons obviously struggled with the entire year last year. 
I think they'll be competitive. But gosh, the East, the, the East has gotten so much better than it used to be. It was so pathetic last year, but now you can basically shoot off seven teams that seem like really good teams, and that doesn't even take into account sort of a, a team like Brooklyn who thinks they're still kind of there. Right. Uh, I'm probably missing another team that thinks that they're much better than the Pistons and might be right. Yeah. No, I... Man, I, I think they have a chance. They were they were about nine or ten games out of the playoffs last year, so we're talking about closing a big a big gulf. Um, but I think they have a chance. You know, I'm not really ready. I think I'm just going to have to wait and see how the rest of the summer plays out um, before I, you know, I'm sure by the time the training camp comes, I'll be drinking the Kool-Aid and I'll be, <laughs> you know, absolutely convinced that they're making the playoffs. But, no, they got a chance. Van Gundy, he's a hell of a coach. He's not the type of coach that that misses the playoffs, right? Like he's he has his guys ready to play. He has a very well defined system. Um, he's extremely prepared. Um, and as long as you know, as as long as everyone buys in, you know, then I, th- I think it could be uh, uh, I think it could be really surprising. One guy that we didn't even mention um, was uh, Caldwell Pope. I mean, he looked like a world beater in summer league, right? So like, if he's actually someone who is ready to play a significant amount. Um, defensively, he's a very talented guy. Meeks, you know, uh, he, that, that competition for that job will be really interesting. I feel uh, like I failed as the biggest Caldwell Pope fan by not mentioning him. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I think I think they have a chance. I, there's a lot of ground to make up, and there's a lot of teams that have uh, a, a you know, a lot, uh, a lot of reasons to feel optimistic themselves. I mean, this is the time of year that everyone feels optimistic. Um, so, so let's make it a little. I don't want to call it a cop out, but th- I think this is a more realistic kind of right. consideration about the team. Okay, the Pistons last year were ranked 19th in offensive efficiency and 25th in defensive efficiency. So, considering sort of the Van Gundy effect of signing the guys he did, playing the lineups he's going to play, what do you think he has a bigger impact on, the offense or the defense? And where do you think they kind of vault themselves to? They they just had so many problems last year on offense. So many, like, really, that's like the, even though they were ranked higher in offense than they were defense, I think there's a lot of really low-hanging fruit in terms of making some immediate improvements with offense. So I'm going to say that they're actually going to become a, pr- a pretty good, an above-average offensive team. Um, maybe not quite top 10. Would you say they were last year 19th? Maybe yeah. like in the 13th to 14th range. Um, you know, maybe 12, something like that. Uh, defensively, I think they'll improve. Um, it, it, there's really not much room for them to get worse. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, Van Gundy, you know, one of his calling cards is, is having his team prepared on both ends of the court. So I think it's, you know, if, if we cross our fingers, maybe it'll be around um, better than average on offense and, and maybe uh, approaching average on defense. Um, you know, there's certainly no reason why uh, if you just look at the pure the pure talent that the individual players have, maybe I'm selling them short. You know. So um, yeah. So our parting message is average in one way, <laughs> coaching average in another way. Your 2014 Detroit Pistons feel feel it. <laughs> I can't wait to see that on a poster. <laughs> they're they're gonna 
They're going to call you about that one. They want to use it on all the marketing material, I'm sure. <laughs> the Detroit Pistons, not quite as bad as you remember. <laughs> Approaching competence. <laughs> all right. Well, maybe that's a good way to end it. Um, yeah, you want to end on a high note like that, for sure. Yeah, we'll end on a high note. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so this was, like I said before, this is our first podcast, um, and uh, hopefully we'll get better at this. Uh, give us some feedback in the comments, and uh, and let us know what, what your motto, what your preferred motto would be for the for the upcoming season. That'll be proof that you actually made it through the entire podcast, is if you give us those suggestions in the comments. That's, so. that's a good test. <laughs> All right, Sean, thanks for, thanks for joining me, uh, and let's do it again sometime soon. Yes, definitely.